Welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio, where we are changing the way parents talk to their kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe in our rapidly changing world. You are your kid's best source of information and primary example. In these thought-provoking conversations, Robin and her guests seek to improve your relationship skills, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Now, here's your host, Robin LaCrosse. Welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. I'm your host, Robin LaCrosse, and today I have a really special interview lined up for you. I invited Dr. Gary Salyer to come back on the show because I wanted to talk some more about love. After all, February is the month of love. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation because Dr. Gary has some great insights on how we get set up for love. Basically, our experiences that happen before three years old shape us in ways that we don't even realize. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation to learn more about attachment theory and also how to nurture that relationship because it is an entity all on its own. So let me give Dr. Gary a proper introduction. He is the creator of the Safe to Love Again and the Extraordinary Couples Retreats, along with a variety of other programs. He's a former graduate professor and the author of Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Attract Your Soulmate. After Dr. Gary's first divorce, he vowed that his next marriage would be different. So when his second marriage crumbled almost a decade later for nearly the same reasons, he was devastated. He felt like an utter, complete failure. But rather than give in, he was determined to find another way. He committed to not being that guy who bounced from marriage to marriage, never really learning anything. He dedicated himself to doing the deep research about all things love. He dove into the deep transformation work that unlocked his heart and released his soul to the love that he had always imagined. So welcome, Dr. Gary. Thank you so much for coming back and being with us on the show here a second time. It's a really pleasure to have you. Thank you, Robin. And it's fun. We're doing it a second time. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, my pleasure. So the first time we talked a lot about like what people do to push love away. And today what I'd really like to explore is the attachment theory stuff. Um, It's my understanding that by the time we're age three, like kind of the blueprint of how we love and behave in relationships and life is kind of mapped out. Is that true? That's true. And to be honest, you can make a strong case based on attachment theory by the time you're one and one and a half. So even sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they have a very famous experiment called uh, the strange situation. Mm-hmm. And you take mom and child. They did moms back then. They've done it now with fathers too, same thing. Okay. Um, and you separate the parent from uh, the child. And based on the reunion, when it comes back, all most kids cry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tell how they're going to relate and they have a certain what's called attachment style. I call it a love style in the book. Um, and that thing will track. That thing will track barring intervention. There is the secure baby who cries. And when mom comes back, they 
you know, they get consoled and they go back and play with their toys. And they're happy. There's a joyous reunion. I knew she, and it's almost like the kid was going, man, I don't like when she goes away, but I know she's coming back. Mm -hmm. They feel secure. There's a trust there. Mm -hmm. Versus the anxious baby who cannot be consoled at all. And they, and they have a push-pull. They, they're hugging and hitting mom sometimes all at the same time or pushing them away. And they will not. They're clingers. They're not going out and playing. Mom went away. I'm going to hang on to her this time. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They become the anxious. And right. those anxious, you know, like, where were you last night? Why didn't you text me? You still love me? Right? And then they drive people away. Then there's the avoidance. And the avoidant babies are really funny. They, sometimes they don't cry. They go, hmm, I'm left. It's because they didn't get a lot of attention. Mom comes back, you know, they're still playing with their toys. And you think, gosh, what a mature little boy or girl, right? And really, they're, they're checked out. They, they soothe by doing their own thing. And they're the ones that when they grow up, they're emotionally dismissive or they won't commit. Their worst fear is depending. They even walk sooner. Uh, and, that's, and what looks like maturity is literally checked out. Mm, so basically mom leaves and the baby's like oh well no big deal because i don't get much from you anyway oh you're back oh that's nice kind of thing yeah that's what's going down that's what you know the first baby has learned is they're trying to comfort themselves the first two the secure and the anxious uh by seeking uh you know a secure base with mom Mm mm-hmm the avoidant has given up on that. They have had nowhere near the amount of interaction of this, as the other two. And so they are literally just as flooded as the other two babies with cortisol. Mm-hmm. But they have learned to calm their nervous systems by getting engaged with toys or getting involved with their own self-play. Now, you just fast forward that 20 or 30 years and you have the guy or the gal who is always at work, staying, you know, has to come home and work out, you know, and there's never enough we time. There's never enough couple time. Right. And so if, uh, if your partner is, you know, you're coming home and your, your reaction is the same as the baby had when the parent left, it's like, oh, that's nice. You're back. Oh, you're leaving. Okay, whatever. You know, and a partner is not going to be feeling very special with that, are they? <laughs> No. Now, you think it's just babies, but this stuff tracks. A very enterprising researcher, Phil Shaver, um, he said, hmm, I wonder what an adult version of this would be like. And so he did an experiment watching how couples uh, left each other at airports. (laughs) Oh, okay. And you can see it. I've watched it at airports, right? the anxious couple, there was one in this one airport, and I'll bet you they would, they would walk away and they'd come back and hug and kiss and cry. They'd mm-hmm. walk away and they'd get 10 feet away. They couldn't give, you know, the idea was unbearable. The stuff, you know, that was that totally mm-hmm. anxious. Then the secure, you know, they, they hug, kiss, I'll miss you, I'll, I'll catch you when you come back, right? And then there's the avoidance that drop you off at the sky cap and says, thank God, man, I got three days myself. yeah totally different energies uh uh-huh if you want to see that little thing with babies and the strange situation go to an airport (laughs) wow to get the adult version interesting yeah Yeah. so can we so let's talk a little bit about the different love styles attachment styles so you mentioned three yep 
there's a fourth, but that usually that gets into other stuff. It's called mm-hmm. disorganized. These those were really hammered. But for most middle class craziness, <laughs> as I call okay. it, you know, mm-hmm. the clients I work with are mostly those, right? Um, the 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 disorganized turn into mostly personality disorders or worse, mm-hmm. extremely avoidant. But there's the secure and the anxious and the avoidant, right? right. And it's interesting, you know, um, when people hear anxious and avoidant, uh, I went to a party uh, about a year and a half ago. I was invited to go to a, and this community uh, was all about self-group. And when I got there, probably 20 of the 40 people had read a book called Attached. It was the the big book uh, that was written about 10, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it describes you know these three things but there's no roadmap to why you're there or how you can recover secure right and i and it was after about the 10th person said to me you know i stopped reading the book because i felt like i had a huge sign over my head that said screw that's not how you want to leave your reader (laughs) no so if you're hearing yourself you go oh boy i'm anxious or avoidant Mm -hmm. you know i want everybody out there to hear this your brain took the best deal available the same way the secure babies did there's nothing wrong with your brain right Right. if you get intermittent uh uh attention and, and responses here, there, here, there. Some part says, let's see if we can lock that down. You have a fight response. That's anxious. And if you're never going to see the cavalry coming over the hill, then it's time to you better start fortifying yourself, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Based on what you got, every brain took the best deal available. And the key is to know that if it took the best deal at one time, how do you get it safe taking a better deal now? That's right. it. Mm-hmm. In all brains... Uh, have neuroplasticity. So it's it, if you hear yourself from one of those and you're listening to this, just know that there is a way back to secure. It's your birthright. That's what I argue in the book. It's just your birthright. Uh, does it take some work? Yes. But you're not screwed. It's just some part of your brain has an old security memo and nobody gave it, gave it an expiration date. Mm-hmm. It's time to update that programming. That's right. You know, uh, in my own life, you know, grew, uh, I grew up with a borderline personality disorder. That was my mom. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, you didn't want to be in that kitchen where you could get hit and knocked against walls, right? Playing up in your room by yourself like that, <laughs> if you're hearing that little avoiding baby, sure. <laughs> was the best deal. You didn't want to be part of that. You didn't want to be secure. That's a, that would be a horrible place to be at four in that household. Now, I didn't realize that when I had turned all that self-play and then I got into, and then when I was married, I was busy doing my PhD program and I couldn't understand why she would say, I feel lonely. Well, I'm in the same house, hon. How can you be alone? Right. <laughs> right. You're right. up in your room playing with your toys or you're in your study doing your research, you know, for your PhD. And meanwhile, your wife is like, hmm, I'm sitting here in the kitchen all by myself. Whereas, you know, when you were a child, that was, the safer place to be because you didn't want to be in your mom's line of fire. Exactly. And you can, because it's like old shoe leather, these, these security protocols, as I call them, safety pattern. Mm-hmm. We don't realize our brain has gotten so comfort for me, distant equals safe. Right. Mm-hmm. And so closeness, 
you know, like some part of the, my brain was about closeness. Wait a minute. We, did, did we ever survive closeness? I don't know about that. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I seem to remember some pain associated with it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's not conscious. This is just the map mm-hmm. that gets put down there. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and then it was, so the real thing is, you know, and I was, you know, undergraduate, I was, I did all this stuff on marriage and family and psychology, but nobody was ever breaking it down the way I did in the book. It's like, wait, because that was when I go, wait a minute, I, I went through all that therapy and all these degrees, and I'm still re- creating relationships that don't last. What's up with that? Right, all right. Something's yeah. missing from this puzzle. Yes, mm-hmm. like the answer. Yes. <laughs> ah, so let's take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, let's talk about the answer. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Are you aware that each one of us was born with a mission? A sense of purpose. Even if you don't know it yet, it will reveal itself. Pay attention to the clues that will lead you to uncover your mission. Listen to Mission Possible program with host Carol Ann Fernandez. Along with some amazing guests, Carol Ann seeks to help you along the journey to manifest your mission. It's time to unleash your greater potential. Mission Possible program airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. Hey, everyone. We're back. So, Dr. Gary, let's talk a little bit about the rights to exist. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So, and I know that these tie in, you know, with, you know, how the three different forms of attachment form. So let's, let's talk about the different rights and like when, when we get them. Okay. So in the, it's the revised, the, the original theory was months zero to two. Newborn babies get a right to exist. We now know that the two months, the last two months of being in the womb can also affect because that baby mm-hmm. is feeling, getting hits of cortisol, all those other things. And there they can babies can hear the fighting outside. They can feel the welcome or the not welcome. Mm-hmm. I've had plenty of clients who if if you can track it back, they they some part of them knew I wasn't welcome walking into this deal called life. Right. And, it, and the feeling 
is when you most when a secure parent looks at a baby and their newborn, they go, "Oh my God, there's little Robin! Oh, we're so happy! Oh, little you!" You know, and the hugs and kisses and all that good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You're laying on mommy's breast, and you know, it's like, "Oh, there's there's that beautiful heartbeat, and I'm still mm -hmm. connected, right?" No, that's that's the right to existence. So, oh, it's good being in this body. The world is my oyster, right? And you you can be fully embodied. Now, the brain at this point is not developed at all, right. and it can't make a distinction between those the body-based feelings and itself. So, what happens if you're not so welcomed? Then that rejection and hatred becomes them. The only way to tone down that sense of rejection and that, that has been internalized is to, they eventually, they have to flee from the right side of their brain, which does emotions and a better connection to body. So they go more into their left brain. These babies, and that's the only way to survive. They, you know, they had to tone down the rejection. So by doing so, they grow up and they'll be the, the intellectuals. Not that I would have done that, mind you. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh -huh. uh, or very, very spiritual. They get to be, you know, and these are the people that do the ashrams and they do yoga and meditation. And I've had women clients will come in and go, I got this super spiritual man, but every time we start getting close, he goes to India for four, four months to an ashram. What's up with this? Right. What's up with that is he, he, he learned how to do a spiritual bypass. <clears throat> and they're not good at their body. So uh, they're not good at connecting and rapport and empathy because of that. So spiritual bypass. So what are they bypassing? They're bypassing. Well, what I, what I said in the book and what I said to this one client, I said, so it's easier to love God and the angels than it is a real life, you know, flesh and blood woman because – so to my knowledge, um, the real life flesh and blood woman is going to ask for a little more than the yeah. guys. <laughs> Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. by so by being spiritual and having to like run off to India to go to the ashram and do all the spiritual stuff, it was his way of avoiding commitment with her, connection with her, um, being maybe in relationship with her. It is, and the yeah. the thing is, is how do you get validated? You know, I have to be special to prove I have a right to exist. Mm, okay, so that's what's going on. So he's like, kind of like that overachiever, like I have to, you know, be one with. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of intellectuals fall in that, a lot yeah, of spiritual right. people. Uh, not everybody that's spiritual, but there's a certain form of it out there. Right, right. And this is the one I got hit on. I mean, my, my mother so wanted a girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I found out from my aunt that I was dressed in pink for six months because she had all the clothes and she refused to name me for three weeks until uh, she was so disappointed. She only had girls names picked out. And it wasn't until three weeks later that the state of Ohio sent um, some state troopers out and they're on the court saying, ma'am, you need to, to name. And she says, no, I'm not. And I according to my, well, my aunt who was there said, and they said, well, ma'am, Either you give us a name or we'll take you someplace that you'll have all the time in the world to think about it. <laughs> now, how much welcome is there in that? Right. <laughs> Not a lot. I mean, that gave me the clue. I go, so this thing that I experienced later on was there from the beginning. 
No wonder you could have predicted an intellectual from just mm -hmm. from that, just from that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so you know, the point is, is and I was an athlete, you know, for a lot of my life, but I would push my body like it was my taxi rather than a, a part. It was it was always my servant. So there's always this disconnect between you can't be present, you can't be in your body, and when you can't be in your body, you can't feel another person either. You can't feel yourself how you're going to feel anybody else. Right, yeah, so that makes it difficult to have empathy with somebody else. Yes. So, uh, you know, a lot, you like, if you're in a high-tech town, like, um, I know that at places like Boeing and Microsoft, I've been told uh, from some researchers that when they've done their research, 80% uh, of them are avoidant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Silicon Valley, same way. All right. Interesting. So they're just getting very cerebral. And I find it fascinating too. And it makes perfect sense to me that, you know, the last two months in the womb would be, you know, baby would be affected by the cortisol levels, by the things that the baby's hearing, you know, the energy that's around them, you know, like between mom and dad and this kind of stuff. It makes perfect sense to me. And some people I'm actually thinking of who had challenging pregnancies, a lot of stress and that sort of thing, and now have children who they have some challenges with. And, you know, it's interesting when you say that, you know, mm -hmm. in the last three or four years, there's been some studies coming out. And, you know, one of the big predictors for couples breaking up was the amount of cortisol raging through because of egregious fights, right? Mm -hmm. Huge. All that cortisol. The, it's, some part of the brain has to split up because it's not, you know, it turns off, you know, T cells and all sorts of stuff, right? This is really interesting. So you can measure couples' cortisol levels and have a pretty good idea whether they're going to make it or not. Mm -hmm. What we didn't know is you can... Look, you can do the cortisol levels in the children and they will tell you with the same, it's got the same predictive value as what's going on. They're, they're picking up the tension and just how much tension registers as cortisol in the kids, it will, you can, whether you ever did a blood sample from that couple, you can have the same predictive value. Mm. The kids are downloading the stress. Yeah. They're, you know, because they don't really have any natural diseases. They're not, you know, they're not capable of saying, gosh, mom and dad are having a bad day, right? This is their world blowing up. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then they, so many times I've had to deal with clients who are anxious or avoidant uh, because of divorces at eight or nine that went really, really south. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it can be very traumatic for the kids, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. One of the things, um, just kind of to switch the subject just a little bit, is when I was reading about, um, in your book, about the right to exist and that whole piece about joy. And you were just saying, you know, how babies are, you know, often welcomed with joy. And, you know, you're, oh, you're so happy to see, you know, the little baby, you know, kind of thing. And can I bring that into the we? Because I have, um, actually have a new relationship, which I'm not sure if you heard about, but uh, uh -huh. um, that whole piece of, you know, welcomed with joy and creating the we and the entities, you know, around that, um, you know, that whole piece with welcome with joy, it really made sense, you know, like feeling, you know, like being happy to see him and, 
mm-hmm. you know, having that joy and welcoming in the voice and how that translate into our relationship. It's really interesting to, to think about like how as a little tiny baby, you know, how we're welcomed into the world really impacts our whole life, like going forward. Exactly. And if you think about it, if you think about it, you know, you know, welcome with joy is waking up in the morning and saying, good. And you look over the side of the bed and you go, good morning, gorgeous. Or good morning, handsome. Reunions in departure is where we, this is really important when you're going away from each other. So if you want to practice welcome with joy, make sure, there's research about this, you have a six-second kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> give, them, give them a six-second. Now these husband kisses. <laughs> you know, right. Us, right? Um and uh, it's end a hug and say, you know, uh, I'll miss you. Or send them a little text message. You know, te- I don't do t- never fight with text. Oh, no. But just like little hearts and things like that, right? And it's important at the end of the day, you know, to really have that reunion like the, like the baby did, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about, you know, uh, where you say, gosh, you look like you had a hard day. What's going on, baby? Tell me about it. Mm-hmm. And then offer them a stress-reducing conversation is what they're called. Where you're not there to fix it, for God's sake. If you're a guy listening to this, do not try to fix it. Just feel, oh, you, you, they just said that. That must feel horrible. Yes. <laughs> you know, take their side, right? And they found out that couples that have these little 10-minute check-ins where they're just listening and advocating for the other and welcoming each other back, that they, they are far less likely to have stress from life get in. And they, they're not the couples that relapse after they do the work. They're, this is one of the big things for creating lasting is that welcome to joy. It's underestimated as all get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that enthusiasm for your partner and excitement to see them. I think it's, there's really something to be said about that, you know, I think. And the modern right. version of unwelcome with joy is the cell phone and tablet where you're you're too busy, right? <laughs> and you're not and you're not attentive. Uh, and you go, oh, well, you you walked in. Oh, let me get back to you. I'm I'm just playing with social media, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And you see it all the time. You walk into a restaurant, and you know you look around the restaurant, and like ninety percent of the couples have their phone out, and they're ignoring each other. You know. <laughs> <laughs> How much welcome with joy? I, I practice this as a ritual it's for as many people. When I'm out to Whole Foods or Ace Hardware, I, I, whoever is checking me out, I will make sure I look at their badge and say, thank you today for packing my bags, Cindy. Mm-hmm. Right, Roger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because most people don't hear that very often. So welcome with joy is the gateway for love. It really is. And it gives us a right to feel like, you know, the world can be a warm, cozy place. And you were saying, too, um, like for people who are dating, that that whole welcome with joy when you go out on the first date can actually have a big impact on whether or not you get a second date. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I mean, I've had clients and if a guy or gal comes in and they've got that phone right there. Right. Yeah. Right there. You know, and they pick it up. Oh, give me a bye bye. You know, uh, you might give them a one, you know, I've had to, to say to people, hey, if we're going to get together, you know, let's leave that cell phone. I turn mine off. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. need that thing. Yeah. You it's, know, it's the polite thing to do to put it away. 
So, Dr. Gary, let's talk a little bit more about the different rights. The next one that we have here is the right to have your needs met. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. That's the one that comes in from two to six months. This mm -hmm. is where the baby, you know, it's, it's breastfeeding. It's, but it's more than just feeding. It's not, you know, it's, it's how attentive are you to their signals, you know, their cries, right? Right. The old idea that you just let them cry it out is absolutely positively 100% wrong, you know. Uh, it's how many times. And the thing that's really cool is, is it okay to reach out and get a res an attuned response back? They've done research where they know that we think moms are great at intuitively just knowing, but what they're really good at is just working it. <laughs> right. Try different. something. And if it doesn't work, try it again. Try 70, something different. 70% of the time, moms don't get it right. I don't even, I shudder to think what dads would be the first. <laughs> <laughs> it was a learning curve for me. Mm -hmm, <laughs> yes. Uh huh. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, right. Uh huh. Yeah, the first time was on. We, sh we shouldn't talk about that on there. <laughs> you know, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we got, he and I did survive it. <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. Although I did hear uh, my wife saying after half an hour, should we go in there? <laughs> do you need help? No, I'm going to do this by myself. But <laughs> I got it. I got it. Don't worry. I got it. But it's mm -hmm. about feeling worthy. Right. All these rights are based on feelings. Okay. Feelings. Mm -hmm. The feeling of welcomed and worthy give you these rights. When you feel worthy, you know, mom gives you that or dad gives you that. And soon you feel like, oh, I have a right to reach out to have my needs met. And when you don't, then you, a lot of times it becomes, how do I give and give and give and give? And then you become the resentful giver. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of codependency is born. What used to be called codependency. I almost never used the term. It's either a missing right to create your experience uh, or a missing right to have your needs met. <laughs> we fix that, then the other stuff goes away. It's a label. I don't like labels. Okay. So you're just saying that we don't, that you're not using the word codependency anymore because I know that's been a very popular term over the years. Yeah, I know what it is, but it's, mm -hmm. a, it's you know, it's, you know, codependency is one of those labels. I'm screwed. <laughs> right okay right a label and five bucks will get you something at starbucks okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm down with that i'd rather have starbucks than a label like codependent <laughs> yeah you know but it's just like wow you know at one point you didn't it, it, you didn't get a right to reach out to have your needs met. okay and, and and that's so important because balance giving and taking now, with kids, it's never balanced, okay? That's the difference between adult attachment and kids' attachment is, you know, our spouse is going to want something back. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's really important. It's attuned responses. It really is. The heartbeat of our attachment are these bids for attention and how attuned and how respond. For couples is do we turn toward them and say, oh, yeah, let me see how I can meet that need, even if you disagree with something, right? Instead of turning, I can't believe you asked that, you know, that would be a turn against. Or okay. turning away where you just, you know, you keep drinking, your, you're reading your tablet or whatever, and you don't even acknowledge that a bid was made. Mm -hmm. uh, the heartbeat is all these little moments, not the big ones. You know, we just finished a holiday where people got three dozen roses, right? right. But it's all these little moments often. Right. That's the stuff that makes up, adds up over time. 
Yeah, and that's where you track. If you're a couple and you're listening to this, start tracking how welcomed, how worthy, and the other two feelings are cherished and empowered. Any of those feelings are missing, you're not feeling that great about the relationship. Two is missing, you're thinking, oh, we got some problems, and three or four is a toxic one. It's the feeling, and how do you give it? And even if you gave something to your partner, it has to be done in a way that's attuned or it won't, they won't feel worthy. Mm, so like if you're like giving something, you might, and you're not doing it from the right place, maybe you're expecting something back or there's strings attached to your give, something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, or just missing it. Like I, I had a, you know, uh, somebody once that was very close. I'm just not going to rat them out. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave me, a, a, a tie for Christmas. You know how many times I wear ties with, I, I wear, you know, I just, I mean, it's like only on funerals and weddings. And mm -hmm. I was like, do they even know me? <laughs> right. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I always showed up with turtlenecks and stuff, you know, or just collars and that it meant well, but it wasn't very tuned. Right. Very tuned. Okay. So it's you. Make, you got to make. You got to step inside their head and make what's called love maps. Yeah. Love maps. Okay. Tell us more about love maps. Love maps are where you are switching inside the other person. You're making a mental notes of what they like, not just you know, uh, like uh, what they like for dinner or what they like for a hamburger. Like once, you know, I've been divorced many many years from my son's mother, right? And when college. We, we go out to a hamburger place and he goes, I'm going to bring something to mom because I was dropping him off at, at her house, right? And says, I don't even know what she likes. I said, mayonnaise, onion, and lettuce. Mm -hmm. You know, that was like 25 years ago. Right, yeah. <laughs> it was about 20 years ago. But you remember that, you know. Sure. Those, mm -hmm. those are little debates. And I said, I would memorize that if I were you, son. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. You know, but you have to know whether, you know, there are people that you have to know whether they like the double skinny lattes. But then there's other things too that are even deeper than just that. It's like Gary Chapman talks about love languages. I talk about core emotional needs. Do they like certainty? Mm -hmm. Are they needing more to, that you get their significance? Do they or do they need more diversity of experience? Or they need your heartfelt connection and physical touch. You have these, these four core feelings uh, I call emotional needs. They're a little different than what I talk about in the book. You better know that because it has to be given in that way. Okay. So, that they get these. so you're making a map of the experience they want to have. They, not on your term. Right. Mm -hmm. So for, and you were mentioning in your book, like the people who say, oh, okay. So like you just got done telling a story and then they're like, oh, that happened to me. Blah. Here's my story kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, and when people, yes, you've talked to people like, you know, you talk about going to Boston and something and, and, and then they interrupt about a minute and go, oh yeah, I went to Boston one time and I ran the marathon and it has nothing to do with you going to Boston. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really about stepping into the other person. This is what creates it. And for kids, that's what makes them feel worthy for adults as well. Um, and I, and it's really important that we, we really make, and we understand how they make experience. Well, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and what's the experience they want? Not just do they like coffee, right? Right. Mm -hmm. For, you know, for one, two, 
two, two men or women could love uh, the same thing, um, but they love their coffee. <clears throat> but if the husband is a certainty person, he wants to know if the brewer is up and got its program on at six o'clock in the morning and that's certainty, right? Mm -hmm. Coffee's ready when he wants it. She, on the other hand, she's a diversity girl, right? And she likes her coffee, but she likes it within cinnamon one day and vanilla another. And if you keep percolating the same thing, she, that's just not the same key. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, she needs some variety. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, for the, mm -hmm. and he could have the same brew for every day for his life, and he's happy. And, and it could, you could miss a few times, but if you get that specialty thing, oh, I found this new thing at Starbucks. She's like, oh, my God, you get me. Right. Mm -hmm. That ain't the coffee. It's the experience. Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Makes total sense. Yeah. So, so let's go back to the rights and stuff. And um, so with the having your needs met and stuff, when you don't have your needs met, that's kind of like being neglected and that sort of thing. That's what happens. Like if you're being neglected as a child and you're not getting your needs met. And so then therefore you are growing up without, um, that right to um, feel worthy and nourished. Exactly. Right? Like the abandoned child. Yes. Okay. And it really does get to be like in the book, I talk about Gwen where, you know, after the divorce um, where it came down to, there was, you know, dad, they were going out walking around and she asked for an ice cream cone. You know, there's no newspaper article tomorrow. His nine year old asked for ice cream cone. This is not news, but he pulls out, a, a wad of hundred dollar bills and said, this is what you cost me. Right. And she felt like she had to pay for love and she had, and she never had a right to ask again. Mm. You know? That's really sad because then you, because then basically what happens is you, you become like some of them become like a giver, right. And just kind of give until their cup is empty, depleted. And yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's funny how this can work out for a lot of people. Just give, 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 and hopefully they'll give back. But it can go some really interesting ways. The whole point is I can't receive. I can't reach out and I can't receive. Sometimes it's a preemptive move. For this point, <clears throat> she was always, for some reason, even when she wasn't trying, attracted to married men. If there's one thing about a married man, it's uh, that they're not going to be able to give you everything you need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By definition, you know, it wasn't, you know, and – some part just set it up that she'd never get her needs met. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. it could, so it's not as easy as, oh, the person d says no to me. Our systems can set up that we're going to get a no. That's how, that's how these rights work. There's some part that says, I don't have a right to take in. And the full right in a couple <clears throat> is, you know, I give to you and you fully take it in. And then you give back just a little more. And then I fully take it in. And then I give you back just a little more. And that's how love spirals up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So um, let's see. We need to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, I actually want to talk about the we, which I know we haven't gone through all the different rights yet. So I'm like, ah. We're running out of time. Oh, no. So let's take a commercial break and we'll be right back. Follow 
us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time with award-winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Empowerment Channel. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. And we're back. So, Dr. Gary, can you breeze through the remaining rights real quick and the feelings that go along with them for our listeners? Yes. Uh, The third right is a right to separate and belong. When the baby first becomes a toddler, they know they need protections. They need a we, but they want to be a me. They want to play their their own toys, right? Mm -hmm. And the feeling is cherished and protected. So, you know, we get to be, have someone who's going to be a home port for our heart, right? They're going to protect us. We we get to have backup. And then there's two other rights that come in after that. Um, Think terrible twos, a right to create your own experience Mm -hmm. where somebody else doesn't get to be standard. You do and a right to assert, to have your truth, to speak up, and to have your wins. Those two feelings, those two rights come at the same time. And we call that empowered with choice. Mm -hmm. And then the sixth right is the right to love and be loved. Not I love more than I get love back, but it's a mutual thing. And it includes sexuality as well. Uh, Not just I'm loved. When, when you hear someone say, how come the good ones and the hot ones aren't, are never in the same package? You know, that was, <clears throat> that right's been split. You should be able to have wonderful partnership and passion all in the same package. So when the brain gets around three, it says, what feelings do I have? Takes inventory. Do I feel welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered and all those rights? And if it does, it says I'm lovable. And that's your inner compass so if all that's you know so if none of what we spoke about earlier doesn't quite hit home there's there's four more rights in the book that you'll probably see yourself in (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes and i've been reading the book and it's great i highly recommend it so you've mentioned a few times too about the we so i wanted to talk a little bit about that because i hear you mentioning the we in the relationship between child and parent And then, of course, there's the we of couples and relationship, which I'm particularly interested in, Um, you know, and how we can nurture that we-ness and, you know, bring it, 
you know, as you were saying in your book, it's like, it's like a third entity and the relationship, you know, it's like the two individuals come together to create we. And so I'd love to hear more about that and ways to foster the we-ness. Okay. Well, the epicenter, the very crux of what the we is, comes out of, spins out of the right to separate and belong. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get to be a me, but in an empowering we. When, if this right gets split. Some people say, well, I got to be more me. I, I, I fell into that. Other people like, well, I got to be, I have to have more uh, uh, we, and they get embedded, right? And there's a Goldilocks, and we go out, we come back together. And that we is the heart and soul of any couple. Show me a couple without a we, and I'll show you a war. Um, the we, whenever I'm working with couples, uh, I've, I often point out that my real client is right between their heads. Uh, well, it's it's the we, the energy between. Okay, them. okay. Like for instance, they between come the two of them. Okay. and they are and they are about their stuff, right? I mean, you know, the first session I just call rat out session. <laughs> they're going to rat each other out, right? Sure. Right. Yep. And uh, they will not see how they're contributing it. But uh, what I my first move now this is the difference between a we, a we less <laughs> couple and one that uh, it's just these two uh, me's. I'll point out. So this is the pattern, you know. Uh, when you don't meet her needs, then she feels that old feeling of not worthy. And when she's not worthy, then she comes after you. And then you feel the old feeling of disempowered because that's what you got, right? And then you and then you fall away because you feel resentful because that's and all this stuff. So I said, now we can make each other wrong, or we can make the pattern the problem. Mm-hmm. I said, the first move is for both of you to realize that the partner is not the problem. The pattern is the problem. Right. Now, how can you become a team, a we, at noticing when the problem or the pattern is in the, in the room? And how can you both go, oh, and help each other and support each other in kind ways to change the pattern versus change the partner? Now, it doesn't mean that in, in work, I won't try to do something so to, to give him back more feeling of empowered and her more feeling of worthy, right? And skills. But it's essentially creating that sense of weakness. Um, and strong couples have this weakness. They, they, they think of the other person. They don't just go out and do their thing. So many couples go, they'll come in and go, he or she is always just going out and doing my own thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, well, I don't understand, honey. How could it be wrong taking off and spending $25,000 on a Tony Robbins thing? I'll be a better man for you. I'll be a better woman, right? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's too much. That's too much me and at, at, at the cost. So this we is the heart and soul really creating that heartfelt connection where there's a third entity. It doesn't mean you lose yourself, but there's a th- there's like an, an overriding entity that balances the two needs and their sharing of influence. Without a we, what's the point? Right. Yeah. In the 12 years I've been doing this, I've only had one couple where I realized they had way too much we. But that was only one. Most times, it's people pulling into their own worlds, and then it feels very, very lonely. But when somebody, but when there's a we, you're, you're cherishing and protecting that other person. 
you're thinking, gosh, what's up today? And it doesn't mean that, you know, and a part of a we is every couple will make mistakes with each other. It's called being human. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of the we is you, you accept and offer attuned repairs. Uh, And if they do, they go, I'm not going to accept it because it might go away. You know, how do I know the change will last? I've heard that stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Now, if, you know, if they're not doing their work, that's another thing. But for the most part, it's really allowing yourself to depend and be depended on. And that's the key. So the ingredients for a successful we are like making the relationship a top priority. I think you also mentioned fondness. And admiration. Fondness and admiration is key. The, the key in any great we is that things, it keeps it positive. Mm-hmm. I actually talk in the book that there are these individual rights, but the we, because it's a creation of human energy, also has the same rights. So the we must be given a right to exist. Unlike one couple came to me and she goes, I want a we. And he goes, what do you mean a we? There's just two me's here. <laughs> it's like oh, i missed the boat on that one <laughs> you know? and, and now when he was young though you know the, the best deal available mom was very very intrusive he never got to be a me so he was dying to get out to have a me mm-hmm. and it was and he felt so disempowered when we had to help him feel empowered in a week and it was safe mm-hmm. you know nobody rejects the we for for a good reason it's always like, you know, like what I did. I mean, who wants to go in there and get abused, right? Right. Right. So did we give it a right to exist? The we has to have a right to exist, unlike that. Are we making sure the we has its needs in it? Just because you decided something five years as a couple doesn't mean it's still feeding the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, are we making attuned responses? Gosh, mm-hmm. you know, we bought this house and it's sucking us trying and we can never go out and go on a vacation. Maybe we need to downsize. Right. Right. Is there a right to separate? Does the we get to be the great arbiter of your own competing interests? Because they will compete at times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's not get Pollyanna about this. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. right? Does the we have a right to create its own experience, you know, uh, for you so that there's something new and fresh that's just about the two of you as a team? Does mm-hmm. the we share, you know, allow you to share experience, which I call, you know, a right, you know, to assert? Can you speak your truth? and be heard. And there's the we have a right to love and be loved. You know, that you value that we. And you don't let parents or kids pry it apart. And one of the things I want to say to anybody with kids out there, because I know you do a lot with kids, is who's number one? It's not the kids. The couple must make the partner number one. Now, that doesn't mean that we know they get sick and there's diapers to be changed. But if there's a date night or a vacation apart, the kids need to know that you have made each other. They'll feel safer. And so there's a prioritization mm-hmm. of each partner. There are, I have never met, I've met women who were second place when a dad was over-invested with kids. I've had, I've felt, I've seen husbands, right? There's no distinction in gender here. Nobody wants to be the third or fourth or fifth priority. Every last one of them, whether they're male, female, uh, of whatever gender, resented it when they were not number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it makes sense. I know 
I had one relationship once where I felt like his mother was number one and it definitely felt weird. (laughs) Yeah. It didn't feel, didn't feel good. And eventually that relationship did come to an end, but, um, but yeah, so, okay. So fondness and admiration, prioritization. um, Mm -hmm. What else does the we need? The we needs a check-in. The we needs a check-in. Every week, check-in to say, how is the we doing? You mm-hmm. know, you can, every Sunday night, you can check in with your partner and say, honey, on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, how did I do as a, as a spouse, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can also say that, um, and I would check in with the we at least once a month, talking, hey, how's, this, how's our we doing, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. So like just checking in and saying like, are you feeling welcomed with joy? Are you feeling let's yeah. see, uh, worthy and nourished? Are you feeling cherished and protected? Are you feeling empowered with choice? Yes. So you're basically just checking in to see how they're feeling about the relationship and how the two of you are interacting. Yes. Cool. So you want to check in, check in often. Mm-hmm. And just don't assume that the we is going to be static. So, you know, the we uh, is what's really important for the we is that it be adaptable and malleable, and it has to be given the ability to grow. You make it a priority. You make sure you're, you're prioritizing each other and the we. But it's going to change, and it needs to change. No partnership, marriage, relationship stays the same. And I think I learned that early on when I was uh, undergraduate. Uh, one of the professors brought in a couple. They brought in couples, and there was this old couple in their 40s. <laughs> and then there was the one where he was 93 and she was 88, and they'd been married for 63 years. Yeah. And I will never forget one of the uh, football players asked this guy, so what's it like being married to the same woman for 63 years? Not not with as much respect as I think he owed this man. Sure. And and his response was stellar. He said, well, young man, if you're lucky enough to be married to the same woman, he says, I've got a shocker for you. You're not going to be married to the same woman for 63 years. She goes, my wife has been five different wives. And every 10 to 12 years, she would change. The marriage had to change. I had to change with her and with the marriage. And he rattled off the five different women that he's Mm. been married to. Mm -hmm. She was beaming. And and I go, now there's a loved woman. Yes. And I learned something. You know, he says, so if you think you're going to have the same marriage that you thought you were signing from, he says, good luck with that. Yeah, right. <laughs> now that's the right to create your own experience. Mm-hmm. Where you can be adaptable, right? Right. This is the right to have your needs met because needs change over time. Yes, I do. You know, I I, I had one, I I was interviewing couples one time and they were married like fifty some years, but halfway through it, she was huge. I mean, she had this. She was head of HR at an oil company that everybody knows, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden. After 25 years of being Miss Corporate, she says, I, you know, I, she started wanting guys, she got what he called these woo-woo things, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? mm-hmm. like energy work and all that. And, and he, she had to sit him down and go, look, 
I'm different. And I have loved you for 25 years. But I need loved in a different way or we won't make it. Right. And he said, wow. And then he said, okay, I'll make the adjustments. Right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and then he was given permissions. Interestingly enough, he stopped being an attorney and became a chef. Well, if she can do it, I can do it. Right. <laughs> you know? Now, now the, the, the ones that are, uh, will make it are the ones that say, hey, I didn't sign up for this. Now, there's certain places where that can be the case. I, I mean, you know, we're, but generally speaking, it's like how we, if when the we is important and you really love, you, you work these things out. Right. Yeah. You know. Uh, I'm not saying in every instance, I <laughs> know there may be a few things out there, mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, this is the flexible adaptability of a we. It's and it's attuned. It's growing. Yeah. Well, and if you don't, if you're not able to grow together, I think the relationship dies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And it must grow. Mm -hmm. So that yeah. we is everything. Just track the we. Yeah. You know, thinking like a team. Are you thinking the other? Is it, are you co-creating the other? Are you sharing influence? And 82% of the time, men don't share influence. There's a technical term, by the way, for them in the in the uh, the, in the, uh, the literature. They're called divorcees. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very technical term. Yes. Wow. So, yes. And I know quality time is super important for the we as well. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, so as we close our time here together, I want to let people know about your brand new free gift, how to spot an emotionally unavailable man. Yes. Well, I have this really cool PDF. And, and if, if you come back, there'll be uh, some videos that go with this. And it's a really cool PDF on how to spot the emotionally unavailable man. So that you don't waste your time ahead of time getting in a relationship. Because how did I, why didn't I see that? So using attachment theory, I show you how, how the clues are standing right there in front of you. And you could have seen them earlier. And these are the clues to look for. Yeah. Great. I'm sure a lot of women will find that very yeah. helpful and save them a lot of time. You, go to, you have to go to GarySalyer.com forward slash available. Okay. Yeah. And if you're a single couple, there's something called love notes that you can sign up for too. Uh, but this is the one that's, it's my newest one. It's GarySalyer.com forward slash available. And um, a lot of people have told me that it's been super helpful in getting clear. Great. That's awesome. And I'll definitely post the link in the show notes for everybody too. So they can just go to Holistic Sex Ed Radio and get all that stuff right there. So thank you so much, Gary. It's been really great talking to you today. It's been a real pleasure. It is always a pleasure, Robin. And uh, I thank you so much from my heart to your heart. Yes, thank you. And everybody out there, go get his book. It is, this is a powerful book. And I know that it's going to change your relationships, your lives for the better. So go check it out. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Gary. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. All right. See you next week, everybody. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us today. While these conversations may be difficult at times, the rewards are well worth it. We have the power to change the world by what we teach our kids. Join host Robin LaCrosse next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thought-provoking conversation. Thank you and have a beautiful day.